Welcome back to another episode of the Love in a Cottage podcast. I'm your host, Paige Geidel, and I am so stoked that you found us. We are a community of creative Christian women in their 20s, and you are invited to be a part of it. Each week, I invite a guest on the show to chat about all things marriage, motherhood, homemaking, small business, and following Jesus. My friend, there is a seat here for you at the table, and I so hope that you choose to be a part of this community. Without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Love in a Cottage podcast. Man, it feels so good to be saying that after taking some time off. And we're also kicking off this show. This is the start of season two, which is so funny because we have like 44 episodes. So definitely not every season is going to be that long. I'll kind of explain here in a second why we're moving toward more of a seasonal um format, but I'm just so excited to be with you guys again. I missed you and I cannot wait to share today's episode. But if you're new or if you discover the podcast like while I was away on a hiatus, then welcome. My name is Paige Geidel and I just wanted to share for a second a bit about why I started this show. Basically, I got married when I was 19, so I was technically like a sophomore in college and um, I ended up having my first daughter, Flora, when I was 20 and really just felt like even in the Christian community, there really weren't that many women who were experiencing um, like my life stage in the same way that I was um, and navigating all of that in their early 20s. And so originally it started out where I wanted to create a community and connect with other women who were navigating marriage and motherhood um, and were followers of Jesus like in their 20s. But it's so fun because since the show started, we've definitely gained some listeners who are in their 30s and 40s. And so welcome if that's you. There's totally a space here for you. Or maybe there are also women who um, don't have any kids. And I just want to say this show is totally for you too. So that is kind of my heart in starting it in the beginning and um, just so excited that the Lord has grown our community even beyond that original vision. Part of why we are switching to a seasonal format is because I really found myself desiring to be more intentional with how I created the show, meaning I didn't want to have three episodes back to back to back that were all specifically about like postpartum maybe. I just kind of wanted to provide some variety for you guys and feel like I had the margin to schedule shows in an intentional and meaningful way. And also you guys, you know if you've listened that this is not my job. This is a passion project. My first job, most important role is being a stay-at-home wife and mom and homemaker. I have two girls who are two and a half and one. They are 17 months apart in the absolute joy of my life and as you can imagine or maybe you have your own little ones, they keep me so busy and I desire to be really present with them and so In order for this to just be sustainable, um, I decided to move toward a seasonal format. I found that it was really hard for me to accept and give up the idea that my capacity limited me and I could in fact not produce a show every single week indefinitely, completely by myself. Um, And so I took a little bit of time to just like pray into how I could continue doing this and that's really what the Lord Um, gave me and so I'll be releasing around like 10 episodes at a time 
and then kind of taking like a month or two to plan out the next season and record that. So again, this is technically season two. I know that's a little bit silly, but I'll still be numbering shows as like 45, 46, etc. So they're just kind of easy to find. And speaking of ways to help make this show sustainable, I wanted to once again encourage you guys to check out joining the Cottage Club, which is our podcast Patreon. If you aren't familiar with the platform Patreon, it's basically a way to support podcasters and artists and people who are creating meaningful content by giving a monthly donation. And I would so, so appreciate if you'd consider joining. It does have perks where you can have like a monthly ask page anything. Um, If you join our highest tier of $20 a month, we'll have like a one-on-one phone call and I'll just get to get to know you and we can chat and have like a fun heart to heart together. A lot of people don't actually realize not only how much time it takes to make a podcast, but it's not free. I do have to like pay money every month to host like $40 a month to actually just like upload the podcast. And so by joining the Cottage Club, that really helps make this sustainable as I have help from my husband to edit and record and do all these things. So I would so appreciate if you would pray about it and consider donating. I'll have links for that in the show description and also in our Instagram bio. And I totally understand if it is not your season to like contribute financially, but one really free and easy way that you can help support the show is to just leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and also just share the show with your friends. I know you've probably heard every single person under the sun who has a podcast or YouTube channel talk about like leaving reviews and sharing things, but it truly is so, so helpful. So thank you if you have done that and thank you for considering doing that if you haven't already. Something new and fun that we're doing, um, hopefully from here on out, is a community like memory verse because I have just been feeling a huge tug and really need to be in the scriptures more. And like many of you having young children, um, it can just feel really challenging and I can get stuck in the mindset like if I don't have this relaxing like quiet time with God and with my perfect like cup of coffee, then, you know, why even do it at all? And obviously there's so much wrong (laughs) with that mindset, but I've just been feeling like a strong desire to memorize scripture and even memorize it with Flora. And so every week at the beginning of the episode and then also on Instagram, I'll be sharing kind of the community scripture that we'll be memorizing. And so this week we are going to memorize Philippians 2 verses 14 through 15. So I'm going to read this over you. Um, It's the ESV version and it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And wow, that is just so convicting for me, like as a homemaker and a mom, like doing all things without grumbling. Wow. I could use that and I pray that like memorizing this transforms my heart to not like yeah grumble about like doing laundry or cleaning up a sticky spot one more time or picking up the random socks that end up all over my house you know like I just want to joyfully serve the Lord Um, and I also pray that like amongst 
a crooked and twisted generation, I would be a light and that my children would be a light. And so I know it's two verses, but you guys, we can totally do it and we're going to do it together. So Philippians 2 verses 14 through 15 is our scripture for the week. And I know this is a super long intro. I'm sorry. I promise they will not usually be this long, but I just felt like there was a lot to share after returning after a few months off. So without further ado, let me tell you about today's very special guest. Her name is Abby Friesen, and I am so excited for you guys to hear her story. It is a very powerful one. Abby is a wife and a mom. She's currently pregnant with her third baby, but it is her second pregnancy because she has twin girls and she's having another daughter, which is so, so fun. But Abby actually shares about a really, really difficult twin pregnancy. Her girls are mono-mono twins, or they were in that pregnancy, and so she'll explain kind of what that meant um, and walks us through yeah, the difficulties of that pregnancy. And then we also talk about attachment parenting from a Christian perspective. Abby got her master's degree in marriage and family therapy and also just is a fellow mom. And so that's like a really fun conversation. It's full of um, a lot of information, but also tons of grace and just like us talking about our personal experiences in parenting. So I cannot wait for you guys to listen. Welcome back again. And let's jump into today's conversation. Well, welcome to the podcast. First of all, I am so excited to be talking with you this morning and it is so fun. Okay, so Allison is your sister-in-law. Is that right? She No, she is my sister. She's your sister. My blood sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes, that's fun because I was looking at your eyes and I was like, I feel like you guys look too similar to be sister-in-law. Oh, really? like, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, most people think we don't look alike at all. So yeah. That's is funny. it like the like darker and lighter hair? Do you think? Mm, I think so. Yeah. So Allison and I met in college and we didn't know each other super well, but I remember, I think we were in like a yoga class together at APU and, um, just have kind of like, I don't know, talked on Instagram off and on over the years. And she, I guess, had listened to my podcast and then messaged me at some point just saying like, yeah, I don't know if you're ever looking for guests, but my sister just has like an amazing story with her girls and is really mm-hmm. passionate about um, attachment parenting. And I was like, yes, that sounds like my kind of person who I would love to talk with and just hear more of your story. So I love that there's like a very personal connection in how you and I are able to be talking today. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I love her. I'm I joke with Allison that she should be everybody's like PR person or something cuz she just <laughs> is always she's connecting people to other people that are really it's usually really yeah. helpful and um I love that about her. She's she's the bomb. Love her. That is so fun. Shout out to Allison. Mm-hmm. Thank you for making Shout out. this happen. <laughs> Abby, could you just um, introduce yourself for those of us listening who don't know who you are, just share a bit about um, who you are, your family, what you do, and where you guys live? Yeah. So, yep. My name is Abby. I'm married to Mitch, who he's just fabulous. I've known him. We've been together for probably 11 years. Um, We met when 
I know. We met when we were 18 as freshmen at APU. So um, we've been together that long. We've been married for seven years. And so, okay. yeah, we, yeah, seven years. We were married June 2015 on my parents' property in Indiana at the time. It was a rainy day, um, but God gave us a double rainbow on our wedding day, which oh is super, goodness. just memorable. I cried. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So love him. We've been together a while. And then we have two, I, we have identical twin girls who are two and a half years old and um, their names are Audrey and Emerson and they are amazing. They're toddlers and there's a lot that comes with that, but um, yeah, they, they're just precious. I love them to pieces. Um, yeah. And then I, um, I was born and raised in the Midwest. And so I came out to California for college and was based pretty much out there this whole last 11 years. Um, But we just recently moved back to the Midwest. We're in Michigan right now, um, living at my parents' lake house in Southwest Michigan, saving for a home. And um, it's just lovely. It's it's a huge, huge gift. And um, we're actually 16 weeks pregnant with our next little human. Yeah. Mm, And it's going really well. Um, Thanks. Thanks. So that's kind of my family. Um, yeah, I, what else? I uh, just finished a master's in marriage and family therapy um, at APU this past May. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it was clinical psychology with an emphasis in the MFT, but I'm not currently practicing because we just made the move to a different state. Um, and there's a lot of complications with that, with the baby coming and state regulations, but I'm totally. hopeful for the future with that career. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for giving us that overview. I can't wait to chat more about the MFT stuff. I got to, we got to talk about that before recording because I had some questions about <laughs> kind of what that process mm-hmm. has been like. I feel like I've shared bits and pieces and I'm sure we'll share a comprehensive story as our family kind of takes the next step, what steps mm-hmm. with John's like MFT journey. But mm-hmm. I don't think I actually realized that you and your husband both went to AB for your undergrad. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what was the story of like how you met? Was it like we were walking to Angstrom Hall and we saw each other? I mean, kind of. Honestly, it was very, (laughs) um, I guess you could totally say stereotypical in a lot of ways for like young Christian freshmen. (laughs) But he and I both, I mean, I to give a little backstory, I had just been in like a couple of relationships in high school and kind of went to college thinking, no boys, like I need to just, you know, figure me out. Um, but then literally I get to APU. I kind of, I knew about Mitch because there was this like, you know, Facebook group or whatever, where you could post about what you're doing or talk to your roommates or whatever. And Mitch had posted something really tender on there about like writing letters to his parents before he like left for college. And I was like, who is this? Like he's an 18 year old boy writing letters to his parents. And yeah. some people would be like, you know, that's so cheesy. Ew. But I was like, what a tender man. I think I need to meet him. Um, mm. And so I was aware of him. But then when we got to APU, we met the day, you know how like there's a day when all the parents drop you off and then like leave. Yes. Yeah. And it's just, and there's all these events. Like you have, at least for us, we had this big event that night. Um, and uh-huh. I 
Was this so like was the weekend day- of the fair when people are like drawing stuff on the sidewalk? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like praying with your parents or your family or whoever's with uh-huh. you. Yeah. And so my our parents had left and I was just like, you know, it's freshman year. You just get there meeting everybody, walking around. All of a sudden I'm this Miss Social Butterfly. You know, you just feel the vibes. And I walked into Smith Hall, you know, Smith Hall. Yeah. Yes. I was in Adams and Mitch was in Smith. And so I walk in and I was like walking with some girls I'd met and I think I ran into him there and he he like walked into the lab lobby there and I was like, You're Mitchell Friesen. And he was like, what? You know? <laughs> he he had heard of me too. Like he kind of knew who I was, but I was like, I wasn't shy at all because I didn't think I liked him. I just thought he seemed like a cool guy. Yeah. And um when I met him though, like I've it was just different meeting him. Like I it was not like this. I'm in love with you. You're so hot. Like I want to marry you. It wasn't like that at all. It was more like, like intense curiosity and like a peace wow. around him. Like I just yeah. was like, you're you're different. Like I feel like we could be probably best friends or something. Like you're just yeah. really different. Wow. Like and, more than um, just pure infatuation. That's like absolutely yeah, material or hormonal or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like in high school, it was like, he's hot. I could date him. But with, with Mitch, it was very, um, just precious. Like I remember that night we, we both went to an event and he was like in the back of the room and I was, you know, somewhere on the, I think we're in the lawn on a lawn. And I would, every time I turned around, he was looking at me, you know, like that cute, like kind of flirty, like what's happening, what's happening right now. Yeah. And and that was the day we met, but I was definitely not like romantically interested in him right away. Um he kind of was. It kind of took us both some time, but not that much time. Like within a few months we were like, why are we ignoring this? There's something special here. Um and he's the guy who asked my dad if he could date me, like just old school in that way and Yeah really precious and like didn't even kiss me for like five months because he was like I I'm playing the long game with you I want to make sure we do this right and so he just wooed me man he did a really good job oh Mitch that's so so sweet oh my goodness I love that and then you guys got married like after graduating what was that kind of timeline like Mm -hmm. yeah we got engaged fall of our senior year and then got married literally June after graduating. So yeah, that, that summer. So um, fun. Yeah. So we, we dated all through college. It wasn't always easy, but we made it. And um, yeah, I love him. He's, hmm. I don't even know how to like, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging about my husband, but he's like truly just good. He's a good guy, mm-hmm. good to the core, um, loves Jesus, loves hard, loves deep. Um, like yeah. anyone. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's so special. And I love, I mean, obviously I think boys need that example just as much, but me only having girls and that being the only thing I know that just like cuts me to the core. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I love that. Yeah. I love having oh. um, men like that who are going to be like raising up daughters. Mm-hmm. I think it's so special and so necessary so Mm -hmm. I love that oh totally he he's a great girl dad Mm. so what does your husband do like did you start your MFT program 
right after or just kind of what was what were your lives looking like before you ended up getting pregnant with your girls because mm-hmm. I know that's going to be um an interesting story for us to dive into soon as well yeah oh yeah um yeah so right after graduating I actually was a resident director at a university in Georgia for a very short bit oh my and then yeah, and then we and he was working for he worked for a nonprofit called Cancer for College that was based in oh. California. Um, okay. He's actually a childhood cancer survivor, so wow. lots of like he had just had a lot of cool connections through that. Um, so he worked for a non that nonprofit for I want to say was it three years, first three years, something like that. Um, and then when we moved back to California he kept working for them. And I um, actually was, they called it an international student program coordinator. Um, I worked at a private Christian school in Temecula, California, um, helping to do admissions and run programming for their international student program. Cool. So I did that for just a few years. And even while I was there, so I, I wanted to do therapy or counseling since I was at least in high school. Um, But some of my history is I had childhood anxiety, like intense, like was on medication. Um, Just, I I think like anxiety marked so much of my life growing up, sadly. I mean, it really did. And, but through that experience, I kind of knew, like I had this like softness towards others and this desire to understand emotional mental health and how to figure myself out but also help other people um so I kind of knew that was on the horizon but my um degree is actually Christian ministry okay and so I wasn't sure you know what will this look like will I do full-time vocational ministry or will I do a master's program so I was at this international student program and you know loved the job but was even then just kind of like I I think I still want to do counts. Like I got to do this. I have to just pursue it. And yeah, I was affirmed in it. And so we ended up moving from Temecula to Orange County um, so that I could do the MFT program with APU. Okay. Um, that would have been, I think it was 2017. Nice. Yeah. Or 18 maybe when I started that program. And so okay. Mitch now he works for, he's a, um, financial, the director of finance for a digital advertising agency. So we kind of, yeah, had a couple of experiences there, but yeah, I, I loved, I loved my grad program. It was yeah, awesome. So special, man. I so wish that you and John would have been able to like be in the same cohort or something. I just think it's yeah. so fun and also ironic that you did the same program just at the like different campuses and Campus, stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would definitely love to um talk about like attachment and even how your program has influenced your parenting in a second. But I would love to hear I think you said that your pregnancy was like kind of a surprise. So <laughs> you have been married at this point for like what, three or four years when you got pregnant with the girls? I think yeah, I think it was Five. Five years. Yeah. Okay. Four or five years. Um, yeah. We, so I was in my grad program and I had planned to do two years full time, graduate, get licensed, then have babies. <laughs> but things don't always happen like that. They just yes. don't, <laughs> especially when you're married and like life happens. But um, mm-hmm. so 
oh, there's so many details to this. So feel free to like cut me off at some point if it gets exhaustive. But so we weren't planning on getting pregnant. Um, but at the time we were going to sort of a charismatic church and it was a church where people love to like encourage through words of knowledge and prophetic things. And um, a few months before we even found out we were pregnant, I, Mitch and I were in worship at church. We were just worshiping the Lord. He was present, you know, mm-hmm. and a friend of ours who's like in his early twenties who like wanted to be a Navy SEAL, like just kind of this tough, but tender dude walks up to us in worship with tears in his eyes. And I was like, what's happening? Are you okay? Yeah. And he just said, man, I just want to really bless you guys as parents. Like, I just really feel like you're going to be incredible parents and that there's something about the month of May and like all this just, he was like crying, like saying this sweet stuff to us that he just felt like the Lord put on his heart to just wow. encourage us. Yeah. And Mitch and I, you know, we're doing the whole like, you know, our, our, our heads are kind of bowed low and we're kind of like side-eyeing each other. Like, huh? Like we're not, we're not trying to be parents right now. What is he saying? Um, yeah. But that kind of like, I think just like softened our hearts and like, we weren't trying to be pregnant even after that, but we were like, all right, Lord, like whatever you're doing, thanks. Like, we'll see like what's happening. Yeah. And so we were like, we kind of let that go. But then like a few months later, I think we had maybe just found out we were pregnant or something. And Mitch went up to him at church and was like, dude, we're pregnant. We wouldn't even try. Like we weren't trying to do this. And he was like, that's awesome. But I also just feel like I need to pray and encourage you guys about like the financial situation. Like God's going to take care of your finances, going to take care of all these things. So Mitch is like, I receive it. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. You know, this is all new to us. We didn't grow up. We didn't grow up with this stuff. So uh huh. But it was really I'll I'll finish that part of the story at some point, but that was really significant. Both of those yeah. like words over us and just like prayer and encouragement um really carried us at one point when we were starting to hear tough news. So yeah. I just want to um, pause for a second and even say like both my husband and I didn't grow up in charismatic backgrounds at all. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's so much there. There's a spectrum, oh. right, of these things. But I would say we would identify more as like semi-charismatic. Like we've been in church environments where, yeah, um, words of encouragement in that sense have been spoken over us. And man, I like get emotional thinking about it, how those truly Mm -hmm. have like carried us through some hard, hard times. And I had chills as you were sharing that because – yeah, we were kind of first exposed to that when we lived in London, studying abroad for a while, and uh, literally like three weeks ago, I found a piece of paper that someone had written that said, "God will make a way where there seems to be no way," and I'm like, yeah. "How did this make it from London?" Like someone wrote this mm-hmm. four years ago, and um, I don't think mm-hmm. we've talked about that on the podcast before, but I just love that you're even willing to share that because I know yeah. um, it's tender. Yeah, yeah, that's so special, mm-hmm. and I can't wait to wow. hear how that ends. So thanks for letting me take us on a tangent there for a second. No. So so you're yeah. pregnant and it's unexpected. And this friend of yours at church just speaks that God's going to provide financially, but you don't even really know why yeah. he's saying that or what that means. Um, oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, it was, it was, all of that was new to us. Um, but yeah. So 
essentially I went into an ultrasound found out they kind of said to me yeah I think we think you're pregnant but we're gonna have you come back like next week and just make sure like it's viable because we just can't really see anything yet. it was super early and so I came back and they're like yep you're pregnant let's schedule another ultrasound and I was like okay and for whatever reason they scheduled it for like the next week again which is kind of uncommon I think you know oh yeah and which is it was kind of weird and so I was like okay like I wonder if something's wrong and so I come back to the doctor's office to do this ultrasound and they were like oh like I don't really see you on the schedule but I guess we'll have you come in like let's just make sure everything's going well and my husband and I were like all right okay and so that alone was interesting because we weren't supposed to have the ultrasound but then we did and so yeah we went into the room and you know the ultrasound tech she had like the screen turned away from us so we couldn't see anything and she's scanning you know and she goes um is your name Abby Friesen and I was like yeah yeah why you know she's like just checking because I'm I'm seeing things here that I just they're not on your file like these aren't matching up and I was like what you know and so and she goes yeah just one minute and I'll show you and she turns the screen and there are two babies like two babies in there and so Mitch and I like it was one of those things, you know, like there's things that happen in life where like, it's just so out of your control that you either are going to sob or you're going to laugh, you know, like it's one or the other. And we just belly laughed, like belly laughed so hard. Um, And she was like, yeah, there's two in there. Like, and I just felt so like, well, this is like from the Lord. And like, I never could have anticipated this and holy crap, you know, like, what am I going to do? And so um, that was just kind of how it started. And at that point, we didn't know like if it was high risk or um, yeah. whatever, but precious moment, you know, they had two little, you know, it looks like chicken nuggets with heartbeats and it was just precious. And yeah. um, and I'm sure everyone asks, do twins like run in your yeah. family? Was this like total, total shock? Total, total shock. Like, wow. no, no IVF. We didn't do IVF. Um, yeah. It doesn't run in my like bloodline uh-huh. um or Mitch's and so okay. yeah I mean an absolute never could have anticipated it shock yeah. yeah um yeah so we didn't know if it was high risk but they kind of said we're gonna have you come back in a couple of weeks because with twins you know we always have to make sure like how many sacks are there and is anything conjoined and whatever there's all these things so you're like all right and so you know we ended up coming back and that's when we found out oh they're actually the 1% of all twins and the highest risk possible. They, um, they're what you call mono-mono twins. Um, so they shared a sac and a placenta. So they shared like a very tight hotel. It was a very, it was like they were both in the sac together and then they shared the placenta. So they were sharing nutrients. So, you know, that was like pretty intense at first meeting. Um, they sent me to a specialist and so we just sat with them for, I feel like it was 40 minutes of them just like saying like, look, these babies have a 50% chance of surviving. Um, here are all the risks, you know, TTS, um, underdevelopment. One could essentially take more nutrients than the other. One could die. One could survive. Like there's so many different outcomes. 
Um, you're for sure going to have to do inpatient hospitalization at some point to monitor their heart rates. They will mandatory need to be born no later than 32 weeks gestation. And I was just like, for sure. I mean, yeah, there was anxiety. It was like, what? Like, I didn't anticipate this. Um, I didn't, I didn't know I was going to have twins and I didn't know it would be high risk. Yeah. Um, so that was, I mean, I don't know, but I keep, I keep, when I reflect on that story and like that part of our life, again, it's like pregnancy in general. I mean, you've had two babies. Like it is a huge reminder that we are not in control. Like we just aren't, it is an absolute miracle that's happening inside of your body, no matter what the outcome is. Right. It's like, you just sit and eat and you enjoy your life and <laughs> and meanwhile a miracles at work and these little humans are just like you know being knit together and so yes. i just felt that lack of control deeply it was like not only did i like i i didn't control that i'm having twins i can't control how they're developing how they're growing what they'll look like if they'll be mm-hmm. healthy i just like trust you just surrender yeah. And then when you add on all this high risk stuff, it was like, ah, like I've never felt so out of control. But like even recently, I've been reminded, like the Lord keeps bringing me back to, um, I think it's like Second Corinthians, one, I don't know, ten or something like that, or four. Left to fact check me here, but <laughs> it's essentially like when Paul was talking about like we have suffered greatly, even to the point of. He says, like, despising life. Um, but this was all so that we would rely on God and not depend on ourselves. And so mm. not to say that, like, my high-risk pregnancy was, like, suffering. But there was, like, a mental, emotional relief, like, lack of control there that felt hard. But it does, like, when you don't have control, you all you do is depend. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all you do. And so it was an immediate, like, posture of that. Like, okay, Lord, like what can I do but trust? Like, yeah. I, I can't do anything else. And so we walked through this pregnancy and we're, we were reminded of the word we, we got from our friend, you know, like, this is going to happen. You're going to have a baby or babies, whatever. Yeah. And, um, you know, all the hospital bills. I, I was in the hospital for 60 days on bed rest for 80. Oh, my um, goodness. The girls were in the NICU, you know, after, or I think it was 27 days for after they were born. So we had this like just ginormous, you know, financial debt that was coming for us. And there was one night as we were preparing, like just kind of crunching the numbers about what this pregnancy in general was going to look like. I mean, Mitch and I were like on the bathroom floor, floor crying. Like we were like, I don't like, we can't do this. Like we can't afford this. We're going to be like so poor if we have these babies but man I'll finish the rest of that story but like the Lord like completely provided in the most amazing ways and so yeah just again like that posture of like I have like zero control I just have to keep saying like you this is your plan Lord like Mm -hmm. you brought us here like you're gonna show up and so yeah yeah which I feel like is so hard in mm-hmm. America in 2022 and like when you're becoming a parent like there is this level of like you want to mm-hmm. be responsible and you want to like 
have things laid out in a way that makes you feel like you can take care of your children and you want to do what is, I don't know, Mm. I guess I can speak for myself. Like, yeah, you want to love your children so well and provide for them. And I just feel like that complete and utter dependence on the Lord can sometimes feel totally irresponsible, you know, and like it can feel like, am I being lazy? Am I being stupid? Like, am I, am I, um, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's such a beautiful posture though. Like when I look at my 11 month old, who's like crawling and, you know, babbling, but like still totally so helpless and to like make yourself like that before the Lord feels Uh, ridiculous, but I don't know. Yeah. It's just beautiful to hear that. Um, you guys, it sounds like came to a point where you almost had no choice, but to embrace Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that's, yeah, there was no choice. It wasn't like, oh, there's another way or we can get out of this or this is our fault. There was none of those feelings. It was like, yeah, oh my word, like this is where the Lord has us and we have to just keep moving forward. It's like, I think it was my sister. She was like, when she was giving birth to her son, she was like, there was no other way. I have to push this baby out. Like, it's yes. just like, we, we can't go back. We just can't go back. And so it was very much that. And then just, yeah, relying on the Lord in it. And for me, like mentally and emotionally and spiritually, just trying to um, cope with it all. I, I really connect with worship. I think like worship through song with music. Um, I think that worship kind of is what connects my head and my heart the most, like, yeah. you know? And so the Lord so graciously, I mean, a song came out like essentially when I found out I was pregnant called Good and Loved by Stephanie Gretzinger and Travis Green. Don't know if you've heard it. Yes. I actually, um, I don't know. Have you seen Stephanie Gretzinger's like, she just released this video a couple weeks ago from Presence Worship Night where she's like talking for an hour. It's so beautiful. I was listening last night with Flora and just like weeping. So I love her. Yeah. Oh no, Paige, I listen. I love her too. I cried that whole, she just prays with such fervency and such, she just, yeah, presence. She knows the Lord. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So like her, her songs in general have like ministered to me for years. But when this song came out, you know, it was good and loved. And it's from the perspective of the Lord seeing over us, reminding us of who he is. It's not even like, I wouldn't, I don't know if we could call it a worship song because it's not like us singing to him. It's more like words over us. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it was something I could just sit in and meditate. And I would play that song on the way to every ultrasound, on the way home, when I was sitting and getting anxious and to just like, in that posture of surrender, not having control, to be reminded that no matter what, God is good and I am loved. Like no matter what, to just let that be what washed over me, it really carried me, like genuinely carried Mm me. And um, I'm so thankful for that. It was like I could, I mean, let me tell you, I had to wrestle too with the complicated feeling of like, 
we could be the ones that lose these babies. And there's not this beautiful ending to the story. What would I think about God then? Yeah. Well, that's always the question when we go through something tough. So to just have that be what God was saying over me as I was trying to calm my anxious thoughts and like trust and like surrender, he was like, you can surrender because I'm good. Whatever I do is good. Whatever I do is holy and pure and for your good, no matter what happens. And so I'm so thankful for that. Um, Yeah, that just kind of is part of how I, you know, lean into the Lord in that time. And then in those really weak, hard moments where anxiety did take over, just trying really hard also to lean on the people around me and be honest about like, I don't know if I can do this, you know? Um, Yeah. I don't know how to feel, all those things. So, yeah. Having those tools, and I'm just really grateful you touched on that because I think um, whether it's – I think a lot of people who are listening are in the season of having babies and whether that's new or whether they're having their fourth, you know, like you said, every um, pregnancy and birth is so different and there are so many things Mm -hmm. that – could come up. Um, and yeah, it reminds us mm-hmm. that we are in total dependence, total surrender, total, totally out of control and in need of, of the Lord. And I think even just practically sharing that for you, like relying on these words and these truths through worship and through this music, like that is so helpful. I think when we find ourselves like completely overwhelmed and like, ah, what do I do with this? You know? So I appreciate Mm -hmm. you sharing that because I know that will resonate with so many people too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I hope. Yeah. It, I mean, that just was true to my story, you know, Mm -hmm. even recently, you know, I'm pregnant with our third baby, second, third pregnancy, but, um, just recently it was like in my own anxiety is about the future and change and, you know, we're in a new place. It was like the Lord gently reminded me again of his goodness. And it always just like breaks me. It's like, you really are good. Like no matter what, if I just believe that every intention that you have towards me is pure, is like, ugh, it just dissipates all anxiety. Anyway, so yeah, I love that about God. Um, mm-hmm. It really makes him trustworthy. So yeah. Um, so did you end up yeah. having the girls at like 32 weeks then or did you go in earlier? Yeah, so I um, was on bed rest, I think I said earlier, for like 80 days, and 60 of those was in hospital. So I was, we were living, Mitch and I were living at the hospital through Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's, and um, they only let me take a walk like once a day. I would go outside and take a walk once a day, and so it was a lot of sitting, just a lot of sitting and waiting. Abby, I wish I would have met you sooner because I was on bed rest. It was only two weeks, but in hospital with Flora and there was like nothing more <laughs> challenging when, yeah, like you literally can't even have conversations without someone coming in to like take your temperature and yeah, saying you're allowed yes. to take a walk. And I handled it terribly, but it sounds like you handled it gracefully. So I wish I would have met Oof. you and drawn from your strength during that time. Oh, it no, it is like, uh, it is a really hard, I mean, t- like, you know, we keep talking the theme of like not being in control. Like 
Yeah. I couldn't go anywhere. You know, you just, and I just was surrendering to it because I wanted my babies to live. Like I was mm-hmm. like, I, this is what I need to do. This is my responsibility. This is how I love them right now. But yeah, like, um, I mean, we, they, thankfully this hospital, we were at UCI Douglas in Orange okay. and the nursing staff there was just, they were incredible to me. Like I, my respect for nurses, like medical staff just like went through the roof. I mean, I would, I would, you know, take a shower and come back to fresh sheets on my bed every time. And I had nurses. Yeah. Like I had nurses that would bring me home cooked food or come and visit me just to say hi, even if I wasn't on the rotation, you know? Wow. Um, Like genuinely it was like, God just totally, just totally provided. Um, So um, I'm just so thankful for that. Like to just in a time when you're very vulnerable and you're lonely. And I mean, I had visitors and Mitch stayed the night with me every night. He slept in the hospital with me every night. Um, I was so cared for, which I think really helped for why I could survive, you know, 60 days like that in the hospital. Um, I'm really thankful. You know, I, I just, every day I took a shower every day. I got dressed, put a little makeup on. I played worship music all the time, just tried really hard to surrender to the moment even though every part of me was like I feel like a little bit like I'm in jail (laughs) um so anyways I I didn't say this but the whole time that we were there the girls hearts were being monitored right because they shared a sack so their umbilical cords were tangling just totally tangling and so if their heart rate dropped that meant that the cords were pulling tight and so thankfully the whole time we were there I think there was just one scare um but yeah they were born they let me go to 33 weeks Okay. So it was a mandatory C-section and uh this is crazy page. Their umbilical cords had eight knots. Eight knots and a twist. What? Eight knots and they were they were perfectly healthy. At 33 weeks they were both over 4 pounds, which I don't know if anybody listening would even know that that's important, but they were over 4 pounds and I mean, yes they needed help breathing because they were premature, but like I mean, my surgeon said she'd never seen anything like it. So that was just totally the Lord. Like, like the, wow. they would survive eight, eight knots and be, their brains were healthy. They had plenty of like oxygen in the womb. They were getting plenty of food. Yeah. You know, our phrase, our phrase through the whole pregnancy was one is enough. One placenta, one sack, one has to be enough. Just like just a few loaves and fishes were enough to feed 5,000, right? It has to be enough. And so it was, it really, it like genuinely was like God just totally, I don't, and I don't know why he did that. Like, I don't, I can't explain God. I can't explain why he would give us them, why he would spare their lives, why he would do that because he didn't need to, you know, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're exempt from suffering. In fact, you're probably going to engage in it more. Um, but the Lord, the Lord was like, I don't know. He had some, he has something else in store for them. So I'm just leaning into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is so beautiful and miraculous. And I think what's even more like stunning to me as you're reflecting is your posture, mm-hmm. like total utter humility, not like, well, we prayed really hard and then God gave us what we wanted, you know, Um, which I think is so, so easy to take on. I just, that's really like 
so stunning to me right now. And I can't even imagine Abby, like, because I had a C-section with Flora. She was breech and had really low fluid. Um, so they C-sectioned me at 37 weeks. But I can't even imagine, like, the anticipation of being, like, totally I guess I kind of can't imagine, but like being totally like yeah. you feel fine. Like you're not sick is my understanding. You're just like living your life pregnant yeah. and then you yeah. get like wheeled back and you have no idea what they're going to like uncover. You yeah, have no idea. Like yeah. obviously you anticipated some NICU time probably, but like mm -hmm. your whole life mm -hmm. is literally changing in like a course of 10 minutes. Um, do you remember like what those moments were like before you went back and like gave birth uh -huh. and they brought them out? Yeah. Paige, you're so thoughtful in your questions. I really appreciate it. That's a really like curious, um, thoughtful part of the story to engage in. So I'm thankful for that. Um, we, yes, it was kind of scary. I had a lot of, I'm not going to lie, I had anxiety. I was like, um, I mean, I think I was up at 5 a.m. They were scheduled to, you know, do the surgery. You know, you just knew. Like, I had this surgery scheduled for, like, I think two weeks or something. And so every day it was like, oh, you know, and you're awake the whole time and all the surgery anxiety. Yeah. And I'm guessing they didn't let you do, like, uh, Mitch probably couldn't be with you for when they did, like, the, what is it? It's not an epidural. Um, right. Anesthesia. So you have to, like, go back right, yeah, and he, like, meets you and, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you know, there were perks to living at the hospital to like being a labor and delivery resident because I got to choose which nurse went into surgery with me. And I felt really cared for because I, I got to know a few of the nurses. I mean, I had probably 30 different nurses, but um, I got to choose. And so this really kind lady who just kind of functioned like a mom to me while I was in the hospital, she went in with me. And so that helped my nerves a lot. She just held me during that you know, anesthetic epidural thing and just really helped me feel like, oh, I have someone here that kind of knows me, kind of cares, you know. But yeah, and then Mitch came in and we, they let me play worship music. Um, so I had, mm. I had worship playing in my ears. Mitch and I were just worshiping the Lord while they started surgery because we were singing. Um, I was tearful, obviously, just like, okay, Lord, like again, you know, I mean, think about this. You've had a C-section. When you're laying on that thing, they sometimes, they strap your arms, right? You are literally in the, what is, I think it's Ann Voskamp who talks a lot about like the crucifix position. The most vulnerable is to be like arms wide open. Like I am at your disposal. And so yeah. it is, it's a yeah. very vulnerable thing to be like in that crucifix position being cut open. All these, I had like, I think I had two different medical teams in there. So it was a really crowded room. Mm -hmm. and yeah anxiety inducing you just feel so vulnerable and again not in control <laughs> yeah. and so it's that posture of all right whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen and like I'm just gonna worship and so I will never ever forget when the girls came out and you could hear their little cries because they kind of came out at the same time because they shared a sack um this the song that was playing was um I will exalt you know that song, um, I will exalt you, Lord. And um, it felt so right. It was like, I'll just exalt you. They're, they're screaming. They came out crying, you know, and I was like, what, what, you know? 
and they, um, but then they obviously went straight to the NICU and Mitch went with them. So yeah, it was, it was every emotion. (laughs) It was every emotion, as you know, to just be in that room and not really know what's going to happen. And yeah, not know like what's NICU time going to be like, are they actually going to be healthy? Is one of them going to have deformity or, you know, be underdeveloped in some way? Um, but we were okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were more than okay. I mean, eight, eight knots in their cords and they were pink. Like they were fine. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. That just was the Lord's grace. Mm-hmm. His grace and kindness over us. Yeah. I I love even thinking about how like that miracle could have even been like a testimony and something that the Lord used. Obviously, like you're in this environment that to you is so vulnerable and like this is like a life-changing pivotal moment. Um and I think one of the weirdest parts about birth and and just in general like being in um medical environments is usually for the person walking through something like this, this is like a huge deal. And for all the medical staff, they're just like at work, you know, and it's just such a weird, weird thing. Um, I remember, yeah, you're like sobbing and worshiping and praying and they're just kind of like doing their job, you know, obviously every doctor and nurse is so different, but yeah, it's honestly like healing for me to hear you kind of mm. like talk about this experience with so much grace because I think our C-section and the birth of Flora, it wasn't necessarily like a high risk situation. I mean, like because of her low fluid, it, that's like why they wanted to C-section me and she was breech. But like there was not really a question of like her viability, you know? So I think I for whatever reason, but I was not as like open to how the Lord wanted to use that experience to sanctify me. I had a lot of bitterness Mm. and sadness and confusion and I knew no one who had had a C-section ever, you know? And so that like even tension of recovering while you have children in the NICU, you like literally can't sit up in bed, but I just can only imagine how you were really able and able because you're willing to surrender um, to Mm. like embrace that sort of suffering and just like embrace even the gratitude that your girls were like healthy. Just what, what a miracle. I so admire Mm. that. So thank you for walking us through like the surgery itself. And so were you able to stay with the girls like in the NICU or did they have to like discharge you and then you were doing like the commutes mm-hmm. all the time or what did that NICU season look like for you guys? Yeah, that was gut-wrenching. So trust me, like the postpartum NICU and then even bringing them home, I I kind of resonate with what you're saying with like bitterness and anger and like I just wrestled with so much. It was like everything just got way harder because you think you have more control, but you still don't. Yeah, like now they're here, but yep. still other people are caring for them and there are so many hoops to jump through. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, no, I, you know, that was the, so gut-wrenching. They were in the NICU. I was still in the hospital, you know, recovering, waiting to be discharged and they weren't in the room with me. And that was just, you know, any mom who's experienced that, like, you know, it just feels so severely wrong. Um But then, yeah, once I was discharged, it was a complicated thing for me because, you know, Mitch and I were like, 
like, do we celebrate? Cause like, finally I'm out of jail. You know, it's like, I'm not, I don't have to live at the hospital anymore, but I just sobbed the whole drive home because I was leaving without my babies. Like it was not, it was not freedom. It was like wrong. It was just wrong, but it did feel really good to like sleep in my own bed. (laughs) Like it was, it was really complicated. So yeah, for um, the girls were in the NICU for about, I think it was 27 days, um, which was really short. Actually, we thought it would be seven weeks, like until their due date. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was huge. I mean, I went to the NICU every day. I'd be there morning till night. And are you during this time too? And like oh trying my to gosh, that? I was pumping every two hours through the night, like just trying to get milk for twins. Like, you know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Right. Because your body, your milk probably, I didn't even think about that because you were so early to like communicate to your body and also to Mm -hmm. have enough for both of them. I will never forget someone very well-meaning said something to me because Flora had two weeks of NICU time. And they were like, well, at least you're catching up on sleep or something like that. And I was like, I don't know what you think I'm doing. Like just sleeping at home for 10 hours. Like, yeah, that's not I know. People would say that too. The nurses, right. No, people would say that to us too. The nurses would even say like, sweetie, like just get the sleep while you can. And I was like, what sleep? Like I'm up every two hours pumping and like, I'm wanting to be with them. I'm not like wanting to be home. And so I feel that like that. It was, it's a hard experience for NICU moms. It's like gigantically complicated. Um, So yeah, yeah, I was, the nurses there taught me how to tandem feed. So I learned how to tandem breastfeed the girls. And um, we did that for about seven months, which was like, I don't know how we did that. Yeah. Were you still in school at this time, Abby? Or did you end up like taking a break? Um. Well, yes. So I finished finals in the hospital for one of my semesters. And then I did, I took a whole semester off. I took basically a spring semester off um, once the girls were born. And then I did super part-time for the following two years. So I did classes that summer, you know, um, which was really hard. I mean, being a mom of twins in a pandemic, trying to finish graduate school, like, I'm just telling you, life, once the girls were born, life got really hard for us. Um, and that I probably would not speak as gracefully about because it felt like just so intense. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine feeling like, on one hand, of course, there's overwhelming gratitude that they survive. Like, you have this miraculous event, mm-hmm. but also, like, you have valid feelings that it was really hard and having them. Yeah. Because yeah. when were they born? In January 2020. So okay. right before lockdown. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so I imagine like how you thought mm-hmm. <laughs> your first year of motherhood with unexpected, yes. you know, miraculous twins would play out. It was way right. different. Flora was born March 2020. So mm. and, and in Southern California, we like have that shared experience too of just what the climate was like and mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine that would be so hard to figure out how to articulate and think about your feelings when you know <laughs> you like quote like should be grateful but like that doesn't negate the hard things. Yeah. Absolutely. No, it was 
Uh, you said that so well. It was kind of a constant struggle for at least a year for me of like, I think I use the word like part of me was even grieving that like motherhood wasn't anything I thought it would be because it was a yeah. pandemic. I couldn't see my family. I was tandem breastfeeding twins. So I felt very like most, you know, new breastfeeding moms experience that like I'm stuck at home. I feel really lonely. I'm you know, most experienced that. I just like was really feeling that and thinking, man, is this motherhood? Like, this is really hard. Like I, yeah. I'm kind of miserable actually. I didn't, I wasn't happy for like, I might have had postpartum depression. It was, if I did, it was an extreme, but I was really not happy and um, yeah. felt very stuck and isolated. I didn't know anybody who at my age, at that point, none of my friends had babies yet. Um, so, you know, you know how that can feel. It just can be like an isolating experience. And so, yeah, and the complicatedness of like, but these are my miracles and they're a gift and like, I should be happy and um, I should steward these little lives with so much joy. But then at the same time, I was like, oh, like I'm, I'm, who am I? Like, I don't even know who yeah. I am. I'm like, I, I'm stuck in this chair and I'm like overwhelmed getting no sleep I mean because they were preemie we were up every two hours even when they were home you know oh my goodness um, yeah so you had like double the newborn season basically uh -huh. because of yeah. that oh my gosh yeah wow. wow yeah that's a good way of putting it like I know that most almost every mom that newborn season can be really tough but it was like one baby would wake up and then the next one would like you just kind of were always on and like it wasn't like Mitch could just hold one of the babies while I slept. And like, it was like, we were both a hundred percent in. So yeah, that's a whole other conversation, the postpartum journey. Um, yeah. It was intense. Yeah. Oh mm -hmm. my goodness. And I feel like there's so much tension as well. Um, thank you, first of all, for like just vulnerably even sharing about, about yeah. that and what oh, that yeah. looked like. One of the some of the feedback that I get most often, which I really am just overwhelmed by, is um, women saying like, "I'm pregnant with my first, or I just had my first, and like, I had no idea yeah. what to expect, or I'm feeling these things, but no one's talking about them. Like, I haven't heard anyone speak this way about motherhood, or um, I was so scared, but now I feel so encouraged, and so I just know that all that you shared is going to encourage so many women. But mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. I feel like. One of the gifts of my husband going through his MFT program and also one of the struggles is like the more you know, the like better it is, but the harder it is. It's so good to learn about mm -hmm. hormones and like, I don't know, the psychology of all the things. And I can only imagine you're like going through your program, learning about like early childhood development while you're experiencing this postpartum. Yeah. No, absolutely. Oh, I know. You know, it's it's a funny topic to kind of bring up though because I was actually really grateful to have had kids while I was finishing the program because everything sunk in differently yeah. um, especially as I was learning about attachment right it was like everything became so much more especially with family and marriage and just kids like so much more applicable and everything clicked like instantly so that was like the positive side to it but yeah you're right there is that like 
total overthinking aspect to it that can come like oh my gosh mm-hmm. am I providing a secure base and a safe haven for my kids so that they feel <laughs> like they can launch into the world appropriately and you know all of a sudden yeah. you know um but yeah it it's a hard thing to battle yeah so yeah I love that you brought up attachment and obviously even like mm-hmm. there were going back to the the piece about control like your ability to bond with them in the first, like, you know, that golden hour, skin to skin, all of that, like you didn't get that. And I know I didn't get that with Flora and so many women that can feel so sad and so hopeless, especially when there's good education about like, you know, the first um, couple of hours, days, weeks um, and how important that is. And so I would just love to hear why, um, what sparked your passion for attachment. And then I'd also love later for you to kind of explain um, the intersection of like the Christian faith and attachment, because I think attachment parenting is pretty different than, you know, if you're raised, I know you're like a Midwest girl. I am too. Like, I don't know, maybe it's everywhere, but like Christian parents in like the 90s and the 2000s, generally, I think kind of a different approach than like attachment parenting. So I'm getting ahead of myself. (laughs) Paige, I just feel so, I feel like we have a lot in common. Everything you've said, I'm like, it's like you're reading my mind. Um, (laughs) I love that. It's true. Yeah, it's true. So, well, okay, with attachment, um, I didn't know anything about it until this program, until the master's program. I you know, I guess it was starting to kind of become this like buzzword. Like you're seeing, like, I feel like there's like quizzes out there now and everyone's trying to figure out what their attachment style is. And, you know, it's becoming, you know, for, for better or for worse, it's becoming like public knowledge, which is great, but also like kind of not at times. Uh-huh. And it's great. But like, if you're not informed, I don't know. I don't know if it's as helpful. Um, so I started to be exposed to it in the program. And then, um, you know, I wrote papers and stuff on um, intergenerational, kind of like the Bowenian perspective. Um, I think that I just resonated with attachment the most because I think of it as like it's psychosocial. So it's like very relationship based, but how it influences your psychology, the way you connect with the world, with each other, with yourself, um, which also really lines up with my theology. And I really like that. I really like that the two you know, sometimes it's hard to, to see psychology as connected to what the Lord is doing in the world. Like it is, it's very, very much is, but it does depend on how, what your perspective is. So, um, yeah. So because I was super interested in it and was resonating with it, um, kind of found it to be a great kind of, uh, explanation for human development, human flourishing, Uh, mental health, like kind of understanding like where some of our bigger issues might stem from um, going all the way back to, yeah, like when you're an infant, um, I was able to choose a um, traineeship or like an internship, we call it traineeship, where I worked with a supervisor where that was kind of his specialty. He, his whole perspective was attachment and he also was a pastor previously, so we could talk theology too. And so I got to spend about two years with him and he was amazing, just helping to shape and form what it looked like, not only for my own life, um, how to apply attachment, but also how to like see clients in that lens and to um, 
yeah, see human flourishing from that lens. So yeah, I just really resonated with it. There was no like, wow, like, aha, like this is everything. It was more like, yeah, wow, like if I'm going to do this, this is like for sure, like clicking for me that it makes sense. I feel like I can run with this. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. That's awesome that you had a supervisor who you felt so comfortable with and like mm-hmm. you could learn from, but also, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like you said, talk theology and like that faith integration piece I feel like is so crucial. And I know that, yeah, just from observing John's experience, that traineeship, it's intense. It's, you know, a lot of work and learning and unpaid work. And um, so I just love that you were able to have that experience and learn so much from him. And so obviously you're like in the thick of this two-year traineeship and also experiencing like attachment being played out in real time and like you're navigating it yourself. And so as you said, like you kind of talked theology a little bit, like could you just kind of explain, I guess, like a basic definition for someone who this is like totally new or maybe they're like pregnant and just kind of wanting to learn about this. And I know everyone's going to see this slightly differently, but just kind of from your perspective, what is like attachment and then maybe even like attachment parenting? would you say, from like a Christian lens? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and you're right. I think that when people talk about attachment, it's really easy to use different language or like have a different take on it. Um, so I don't know how much of my perspective will resonate with everybody, but this is my sort of in the works understanding of uh-huh. how this looks, especially when it comes to the way we relate with God. Um, But essentially, I think of attachment as like, you know, it starts with your earliest experiences as an infant, like we're talking about mom, whoever your primary caregiver is. Um, And essentially, like, this is what I love about it is it's about trust. It's about Mm. like, developing this, we would call it secure attachment, or insecure attachment, um, where this tiny infant begins to learn to trust. Like, can I trust that when I have needs, they will be met? Can I trust that when I try to go off on my own and be independent, like I can handle it. I can do this with confidence because I have a a secure base. I have a place of trust to return to that will always, you know, lift me up. And so in the most simple terms, like that's how I see it is this, like how to trust, have trusting relationships with people. Um, It's this dynamic where in a healthy, secure attachment, you are both able to depend, like a healthy dependence on another person, but also live independently. So have autonomy. You can have autonomy. So it's not this, um, I know people throw around codependency a lot, but I mean, to depend on people is how God made us. Like we need Mm. each other. And so you learn that, you learn that early on, right? Infants are completely dependent. Um, And so to be healthy is to know how to express your needs, have them met, you know, and vice versa, be able to meet the needs of another person. I remember my supervisor would always say things like, um, how did he put it? It was like caregiving versus care receiving. You know, you can kind of judge like how healthy, quote unquote, you might be if you're able to both give care and receive care. And so that's I I hope all that's kind of making sense. But um, 
that's kind of how I see it. And then obviously how that's played out in the therapy room is a whole other conversation, but for what I'm looking for, how that, how that applies to mental health. Um, but essentially like also what I love about it is you can grow in it. Like, even if you had this like insecure attachment, or if you had these experiences growing up where you actually realize when I speak up and I voice my needs, they don't get met. Or if I, um, express my emotions in general, they get shut down. And so I have learned hmm. my my strategies for connection are to just not say anything. And that's how I stay close to people. Or my strategies for connection are to be too open. And that's how I stay connected to people. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, we have these core experiences that create strategies for connection throughout hmm. our entire lives, where we're just trying to survive and stay close to people, whether it's healthy or not. Yeah. Um, does that oh, make sense? I hope. Totally. Yeah. That's so good. Okay. I have a question I didn't prime you for, but I really want to hear your thoughts on this. Okay. <laughs> and if this is too big, we don't have to go down this rabbit trail, but you have two toddlers. Okay. Yes. Flora is like two months younger than your girls or three months younger. When it comes to like anger or even <laughs> like she likes to, you know, hit her sister or yell at her. How do you, as a Christian parent, allow for that emotion, but also like teach like, okay, it's not okay to treat people like that? Because I've struggled with like thinking about this and John and I have conversations about this, like mm. really strong, like, you know, someone say like negative emotion, you know, again, I'm like maybe opening a total can of worms where it's like, okay, sometimes that feels like yeah. sinful, but how do I not just shut her down and say like, you're being sinful, stop it. Like, I don't feel like that's good, but mm. also just practically like wanting to teach her and disciple her and be like, that's yeah. not how we treat people. How do you handle these oh, things? Gosh. <laughs> uh, Paige, I'm no expert. As you know, I'm only two and a half years in. So I'm probably just as like, dumbfounded as you um <laughs> like it is so hard parenting toddlers is so hard we're dealing with the the biggest emotions right yeah. their, their emotions completely uncontrolled and so man I feel you like my girls they can be they're frenemies they can be so mean to each other like hitting biting you know we're getting better but like it could it triggers something within you right it's the sense of like how dare you that is so inappropriate like that's so wrong yes. Um, but the way that we try, especially keeping it on the topic of attachment. So if the whole goal is to create a relationship of trust and safety and security, and if I want my girls to like have access to all of their emotions, like anger, even mm-hmm. ones that kind of don't look, they don't feel good, but they're good to have. It's God made anger. Um, yeah. how we handle these things does contribute to that attachment dynamic. It just does. Yeah. For better or for worse. And so we don't do it right all the time. Trust me, we've been trying so many different things. But one thing that I try to do is say to like my daughter, Emmy, like if she pulled Audrey's hair, you know, out of anger, we say to her, hey, it's okay that you're angry. Like you can be so mad. You can even say, I'm very, very angry right now. Or that was not fair. Or, that hurt me. But you just can't pull hair. You know why? Like that that hurts someone that Mm. you can't use your hands to hurt. You use your hands to help and to love. And so like my husband will have this thing with her when he's, he in particular has this cute little thing with her where he's teaching her and he's taught her like 
Emmy, what do we do with our hands? And she'll just put her hands across her chest, like over her heart. And she'll say, we love, we love. And so, but we still let her express it. I mean, there have been times where um, she'll be so angry. And I just keep saying to her, even if she's angry at me, I say, you can be angry at mom. I really am okay with that. Like, be angry at me. Show me that you're mad at me, but you don't hit mama. Like, you mm-hmm. just don't. That's not kind. Mm-hmm. That doesn't help you or me. So it's all just, like, repetitive. Like, yeah, just keep trying. And it feels so – sometimes it feels like, is this even working? Like, yeah. you know, and try – and, you know, we, we, we use consequences, too. Like, we're not – anti-consequences yeah. um, because that's just true of the world but mm-hmm. um and it really with with emmy in particular it resonates with her like she has a consequence she's very strong-willed yeah um but yeah it's it's just kind of like in therapy like if i was with a client i would say oh you're so angry mm-hmm. that's okay like so okay that makes sense that you'd be angry um i think that's fine but you yeah. also like punched a person you know like that's yeah. not okay <laughs> you know yeah that's so good and practically helpful thank you and i know there's you have expressed so much humility and so i i just appreciate hearing on like a deeply practical level how that's playing out for you mm-hmm. and kind of what's been working and what's not because i know like i grew up where i think anger was in conflict like <laughs> anger was the go to and in a a way that wasn't like helpful Um, But I've also kind of, as I've shared about my own journey of like navigating my anger specifically more, I think I've dealt with it in my marriage than in like my parenting. I have had, I had one person in particular who said like, well, I grew up in a home, like a Christian home where I felt like I couldn't express my anger. And so I always want to be aware of like, Mm -hmm. you know, both sides Mm -hmm. of the spectrum and not be so Mm -hmm. afraid that my girls will carry that on that I'm like, hush, hush, like you can't experience that. So I think- yeah, just practically, that was a really helpful kind of example of how you're navigating that. And I love also that you, your husband has that sweet little um, repetitive tool, really, mm-hmm. that he's teaching her. Mm-hmm. I know John has taught Flora to take deep breaths, and she does it like yep. when she's yep. overwhelmed or upset. And it's it's so funny because John, I've like surrendered, and it's actually helpful. But I remember <laughs> when he first started the program. I don't know if it had anything to do with the program, but when I was upset, he would say, can we just take some deep breaths together? (laughs) And it only like infuriated me, you know? But now I like have come around to actually listening to him and it's helpful. So that's so funny. I know the (laughs) deep breathing, it is like, it can also feel dismissive to say, let's take deep breaths. Like that's not actually like embracing the emotion. We do that with the girls too. Like we'll say like, let's take deep breaths, but I'm trying to learn about the timing, right? It matters. Yeah. Like if John, if John is like, you're in the middle of your anger and you're frustrated, he's like, let's take some deep breaths. Like you're not acknowledging that I'm angry. Yes, right. Like, it just gives me more fire. <laughs> yes. And yeah. that's, it makes sense. So that's funny. Yeah. yeah, we do that with the girls too, but I'm just trying to say like to them, you're angry. That's okay. Okay. We're going to like calm down, but. I know, yeah. Paige, it's so hard. It's like, but here, okay, here's my other favorite thing about attachment. I Have you heard of the book, The Power of Discord? No, I haven't. Yeah, I'm in the middle of it right now, so I don't know if I can recommend it yet, but um, okay. so far it's amazing. But it talks about how, like, tr- trust, like, attachment, it talks a lot about attachment. Trusting relationships are built through conflict, 
through discord, through messing up, mm. not doing things right. And so wow. it's about how, how you repair it. So like some of us might have grown up where conflict, like you said, like anger and conflict was not expressed well. And like conflict, I'm assuming, wasn't handled well, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like, but if you want to do it differently with our kids, what we have to do is actually repair it. Once we notice that something is really off about how we just treated them or like, oh, I just dismissed all their feelings or I blew up at you. The thing that builds security is saying, oh, mommy's so sorry. I did not handle that well. Like, I, I, I was not in control. I just kind of let it go. Um, And that's what I love. It's not about being the perfect parent. It's totally not like we can totally release that, that we don't have to do everything perfectly to raise up these kids to be everything that we didn't have growing up, you know? Mm -hmm. That's so good. Yeah. The only thing we have to do differently is like say we're sorry and like try different, you know? Mm -hmm. That's kind of it, which is amazing. And I think I just love the power of like humility, you know, because I think Mm -hmm. that Mm – is going to be so helpful. Even as our kids are like grown, I was talking to um, a guest on a couple of weeks ago and we were just laughing about how um, kind of like, you know, laugh crying where it's like, this is funny, but sad. Like our kids are going to come to us one day and be like, I wish you had done like these things differently. Oh, and that's yeah. so hard to like sit in and think about and yeah. swallow when you're like really making an effort to like heal your own trauma and like oh. parent intentionally to know mm-hmm. like it is inevitable but um like to practice humility now and build up that humility those humility reserves I guess even like for the future um to be able to repair things in oh. that way I just think that's so good Right. And that's, you're totally right. It's a whole effort to just humble ourselves. That's a whole effort. Yeah. Um, You know, almost as much as like just working through your own trauma to like actually get to a place where you can say you're sorry and like, right. You know, it's not that mommy's always right. Actually, mommy's wrong sometimes. Yeah. Like I'm, I, that was wrong. Um, Yeah. You know, I, I try to ask my husband, even when they were just born, I said, Mitch, you know, I suck at saying sorry. And so when it comes to these girls and even you, like, please tell me, like, mm-hmm. like, hold me accountable. Say, like, say to me, like, you need to own that. That was you, not them. Yeah. And usually he's helpful with that if I'm struggling to be like, I'm the problem here, not my out of control toddlers. Like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm the problem. Um, yeah, it's huge. But I just yeah. I think that's an important part about attachment and I think that's an encouraging thing to hear to just know like it is actually like zero zero percent about perfection it's zero yeah. percent about that it's about being human being humble and like cultivating trust mm. so that's, that's so good the same with God yeah right humility trust dependence and, and autonomy it's all the same and the more we um like the the secure relationships we can form here help us to see God that way. That He's also a safe haven. He's also a secure base. He's also a place of trust and has my best interest in mind. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of us, like, we don't know what that looks like with our human relationships. And so to imagine God being anything but that, really hard to work through. Yeah. Really, really hard. Yeah. 
Man, I feel like there's so many really incredible themes like from our conversation, but something that you just said that made me think about what you were saying earlier about like trusting that God is good. I am, I try to make a practice of like (laughs) confessing on the podcast regularly. And I feel like one thing I'm like in the thick of is like really, I'd be curious how much of this has to do with like um, my own attachment. Now I'm like those quizzes, like what's my attachment style? (laughs) But, but like really trusting that like God is good. I've seen how much Mm. that struggle has translated with my husband and like trusting that he Mm. has my best interest in mind and how like protective I am and how hard it is. Like, I think Mm. a lot of, um, our conflict can be traced back to me like struggling to trust in that way. Yeah, asking those like big questions like, do you care about me? Do you love me? Can I trust that you're going to take care of me? And yeah, it's just something I feel like I'm hecka navigating right now is figuring that out. Mm. So this is powerful. Oh. This is giving me a lot of food for thought. No, that's so good, Paige. It's true. Like you just made that so applicable and real like that that is exactly what plays out right is like what we've learned in our human relationships we reflect that onto God yeah and but how cool that even even in your current circumstance you're reflecting on like your dynamic with your husband and how that might also influence the way you view God like is he good Mm -hmm. does he have my best interest in mind yeah that's like I could go on and on about that conversation just how our human relationships, for better or for worse, right, influence the way we view God. But God is His own being, and like totally. He, he di- has dictated who He is, and yeah. um, to trust Him for who He is, despite the experiences we've had um, with human beings who are actually yeah. very flawed, and as good as they are, don't always have their best interests in mind. You know? Yeah. Right. Um, it's a yeah. real thing. Totally. Mm-hmm. Wow, Abby, this is so good. I just want to like keep talking to you. You would be an amazing podcast host, by the way. Oh. I feel like you have so much to say. I feel like you should start a podcast. <laughs> I know. Isn't it? I, it's Thank you. That's sweet of you. I think it's an irony of mine that like I'm a therapist that listens, but also loves to talk. I love yes. a good conversation. <laughs> I really love you a love good it. conversation. So I'm yeah. so thankful to be on this with you. And your questions page are so thoughtful and like, I can tell like you're really listening and thinking about like what I might have been experiencing um, in all these stories and stuff. So that's, that's a gift to be able to do that. So to hold curiosity like that is really cool. Thanks. I really do have to like thank my husband in that too, because when he married me, I was a horrific listener. (laughs) I remember one of my closest friends from high school, Sarah, she went, She's like super gracious because I I used to say the phrase like, well, I tell stories by like, that's like how I connect and like respond, which part of that is like true. But I would just like anything she said, I would just respond by like talking about myself. And my husband loved me enough to be like, hey, that doesn't actually feel very good. Like, can you just try reflective (laughs) listening? And he's like very blunt with me sometimes. But um, it's like been really humbling and very good. I'm grateful. (laughs) No, I think that's true for many of us, myself as well, to just learn how to listen well as it's its its own skill. Yes. Absolutely. Well, we are just going to wrap up this 
incredible conversation um, with the same mm. three questions I like to ask every single guest who comes on. So cool. this, I feel like kind of throws people for a loop sometimes because, you know, usually I'm having this like just really <laughs> deep, meaningful conversation um, with the guest. And then I like to point to this more lighthearted question, which is what are three things that you have been loving? They can be totally random. Um, okay, yes. I think I've thought about this. Um, one thing is summer thunderstorms. Yes. Like oh. the pouring, like it's hot out, but it's pouring rain and it's super moody. Like I really missed rain. So yeah. I'm loving that. And can you actually too. like see the lake from your home? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's my on goodness. a lake. Yeah, I know. It's wow. We're super blessed. It's like, yeah, it's kind of idyllic. Um, and then another thing is dill pickle chips. Have you ever had them? No. That just <laughs> sounds like a yummy summer thing. I know. I don't know if it's like pregnancy, but like, you know how they say like vinegar, but, but like the dill yes. pickle kettle chips. My brother introduced them to me this summer. I just keep buying them. I Life love them. changing. Do you get the yep. little bags or do you get the big well, bags? Well, at our like cute little grocery store here in this tiny town there's like just Uh the small ones but yeah oh they're so good Paige I could eat them all day (laughs) um and then the third thing I was trying to think about like you know we're on this lake so like we've just been having I'm loving just the like nature experiences I've been having with the girls like they're Mm. seeing turtles and butterflies and mice and um (laughs) You know, like just, I don't know, it's slow, which is really hard for me at times, yeah. but like those little moments, you know, like paddle boarding with them on the lake. Um, yeah. I'm just really grateful for those like moments of like just connecting with what's around us. And I'm really, really enjoying that aspect of lake mm-hmm. life. So, yeah, so sweet. We got to visit um, our friends the girls in June and they're in Southwest Michigan. I'd never been to Michigan and my husband had not either, but um, man, it is beautiful. I, mm-hmm. it's funny how like mm-hmm. parts of it as we were driving around were totally, it felt like just Midwest, like we're in Kansas and I was I like, know. Oh, this looks like we're in Kansas. And then other parts were just beautiful totally different Mm. like very like Mm -hmm. forested and Mm -hmm. like misty mornings it was just oh yeah and I love how like after the wild couple of years that you've had I it sounds like you're getting some sort of like um rest and retreat and I Mm. imagine being back around your family is such a gift too oh thank you Paige yeah you know you you totally hit that spot on it in many ways it's a gift to slow down Mm -hmm. um and to just be in this like retreat spot it's truly a gift it's different like going from orange county to like small town southwest michigan is hard too it's like it's different um but i think we just need a couple more months of like adjusting (laughs) and getting used to it um but yeah i would southwest michigan is very charming like Mm -hmm. you're right like it's just really wooded and um you know, I went blueberry picking with the girls the other day, stuff like that. Like it's just, Mm -hmm. it's really sweet. Summer, summertime here is just precious. Way different than like Costa Mesa coffee vibes, but like very lovely nonetheless. (laughs) Like way different, way different. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I imagine yeah, yeah your days look so different, but less car mm-hmm. time, hopefully. And yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no traffic. No yeah. Traffic. That's so good. Mm-hmm. Abby, how can we as a community be praying for you? It's mm, such a nice question. Um, yeah. I was trying to think about this like how to word my need. That makes sense. Like how to word what I do need from the Lord, how to articulate it. Um, but I think like simply put just that the Lord would give me more joy in the mundane. Like Mm -hmm. I, this is, I think a big thing for me is I'm in a season right now. This is the first time that I am full time exclusive mom. Like I'm at home. I'm not in grad school. I'm not seeing clients. Um, yeah. I am, I'm like, I wake up to kids and I'm with them all day, you know, like, like so many of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am, there's an aspect of that, that I'm so enjoying, but also an adjustment for me of like, how do I really tap into this and find joy and creativity and um, not also just kind of like ache for something more. Like there's mm-hmm. like this weird part of me that I think is like also good that, um, is like wanting to see clients or like get out and like have conversations like this a lot more. Um, yeah. So yeah, just that the Lord would like help me see how to embrace the season we're in, in a way that like, I don't know, like I tap into more creativity and like I'm more present and mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like kind of thinking, Oh, there should be something more to do or like, yeah. what you know, totally. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I resonate with that so Mm -hmm. much to like embrace motherhood as like the thing Mm -hmm. and like being fully Mm -hmm. enough and like even an act of creativity and man I didn't even think about that you like transitioning to full-time stay-at-home mom like -hmm. with this move as well and Mm -hmm. so yeah you're not like packing them up and taking them to like daydream or whatever (laughs) it's like a totally totally different yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, we would yeah. love to like partner in mm. um, prayer for you in mm. being able to, yeah, embrace and even like fall in love with the mundane and like yeah. change of pace. Thank you. Yeah. Is there any way I could be praying for you? Oh my goodness. Wow. Thank you for asking. Yes. <laughs> Just this like whole transition yeah. of John's job. I mean, it's been so yeah. all consuming. And even last summer, I was very anxious and just itching to like settle. I think because mm-hmm. we were in this limbo season where John uh, had like yeah. completed his program and I was like seven months pregnant with Juliet and we were like, are mm-hmm. we moving? before she's born or after she's born. Mm -hmm. We were like waiting to hear some things from the school. Mm -hmm. And I feel like then we like kind of settled here, but we're like still on the edge of our seats waiting for his license. Uh And now that, I guess I'm sharing this, now that that did not go through, we're like anticipating another big transition. And, um, but I don't want to live my life like waiting to waiting for the next thing or for something to settle, right? Because like we would love to, Lord willing, have more babies. I mean, I think I keep coming back to like things will always be changing. And I'm actually wired. Like I love that. I love like mornings. I love fresh starts Mm -hmm. and new adventures. Mm -hmm. But sometimes 
understandably, there's also mm-hmm. a lot of fear and like a desire to just quote unquote like yeah. get settled. Um, yes. Yeah. So I just really want to, I would love prayer for like how I can be a supportive bride even and not like, I know this is a lot for John and I think I'm constantly thinking about like what you were saying, like, okay, I'm a stay at home mom. Like what is my life look going to look like if we're moving or if we're doing these things? Like how am I going to find community and what will my days be like in a new home? Um, but I truly want to be obviously considering him and that this is a huge thing that he's having to like navigate and grieve this like potential career change. And um, it's funny. I'm so – I don't consider myself Gen Z even though I think I fit into this bracket and I'm not really like a TikTok <laughs> girl. But you know the phrase like the main character or whatever, how people have been like using oh, that. Paige, I am like – I'm not I'm, – I'm a millennial and I don't do TikTok. I don't know anything. I'm so behind. But go on. <laughs> no, same. Well, I feel like people in the last year have been like – I don't know. Yeah. I can't even really explain it. I feel like people who understand, they get it. I just want to like really be able to Mm. pour into John and like focus on him and not have every conversation. I'm so guilty of this. Mm -hmm. Not have every conversation about a job change or move come back to Mm -hmm. like me and my feelings. You know, I want to be able to like hold space for him and like love him not be like but what about me how will this affect me because he is considering me so that was Uh, the long answer but thank you yeah no that's i'll i'll definitely be thinking and praying for you because transition is hard waiting is hard yes yeah and and holding space for both of you because it's not like just one of you would be doing this it's yeah the whole family that's a lot to think about so yeah that's big Abby, where can people find you and get connected? I mean, I have Instagram. That's kind mm-hmm. of it. But that's, Sweet. you know, my Instagram is a mommy Instagram. I mean, I basically, it's like a family photo album. I just kind of you love it. share about my kids because they're who I'm with all the time. And I love yeah. them. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I'm on Instagram. Um, I have Facebook, but I'm hardly on there. So, Sweet. yeah, I would love to, if anything, yeah, resonate with anyone who's listening or if they wanted to continue to talk about one of these topics i'd love to hear from them so i would love a dm yeah sweet well we will link your instagram in the like show description so people can find you but abby this was such a joy wow thank you Mm. so much for your willingness to share your story and to Mm. come on the podcast oh thank you Paige. you're like i said like just you are holding space you hold space for me and for all my thoughts and feelings and experiences so this is a joy it it also like boosts my faith in the lord to like retell of his goodness is just so i mean i'm encouraging myself over here and you've been encouraging me so that's nice (laughs) power of testimony i love that absolutely Absolutely. i'll thank you again Yeah, yeah thank you Thanks for listening to another episode of Love in a Cottage. I'm so grateful you decided to join us today, and I hope you're going forward in your day feeling encouraged, understood, and inspired. Here are a few ways you can connect with our community and support the show. So the first way is to share the show with a friend. This is actually how most people find our show, and I am so thankful every time you do this. You can text them a link, or you can also share the show on your social media. 
This ultimately helps the algorithm get our show to more like-minded women who can find our community. And I also just love reading through your comments. They mean so much to me and are so encouraging. And finally, you can actually donate to the show by Venmoing Paige Geidel or sending via PayPal to hello at pagegeidel.com. I'm currently working on getting a website up and running, so this is more official, but it does cost time and resources and energy to create the show. And even just $5 helps so much with all of the monthly fees and time. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm so thankful for you and we will see you next week for another episode.